Thank you, John. Good morning to everybody. Great to be back with everybody again today. Wonderful to be able to be here to worship God, study his word, and glorify him thereby. And it's good to always have visitors, always good to have visitors with us. We appreciate you being here. And if you're from the area, we encourage you, keep coming back. Uh, we try to be the, simply have our goal of being the church that we all read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And uh, if you want to learn God's word, then we encourage you to come and study with us and worship God with us and grow spiritually with us on a regular basis. If you're from out of the area, we're thankful that you took the time to stop and be with us. And when you're back in this area, come and see us again. Again, if you have any questions about anything you see us do or hear us teach or say, please ask, because we just want to stay true to God's word. There are a lot of people out there today who would like to be able to change their lives. Well, the gospel message embodies the power of God to lead a person to salvation and fundamentally change his life. When the Apostle Paul wrote Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, it is a verse of scripture that again teaches us about that embodied power that is within the gospel message. He said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now those, that phraseology at the end of that verse, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, that includes everybody. Because as Paul read, wrote this from his Jewish mindset, as he was a Jew, and many of the original readers probably would have been Jewish or had a Jewish background and had become Christians. Their mindset was there were only two classifications of people, the Jews and everybody else. And everybody else were referred to in the scriptures variously as Gentiles, Greeks, and in some cases barbarians but they were just talking about everybody else. And those who were not Jews, for the most part, did not even believe in God, let alone in Jesus Christ. But the gospel message that was taken to those Gentiles as well as to the Jews changed lives. There are a lot of people out there today who would like to change their life. They would like to have a do-over, a restart of their lives because they look at where they are right now and they're not happy about it. They would like to be able to improve things. They would like to be able to get on a better track through life. The gospel can help you, can help people you know, can help people in your neighborhood change their lives in fundamental ways. And that really focuses on, it can lead them to forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. They can begin a new life. The, it, it, the gospel has the power to lead a person out of condemnation and into salvation in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter, 18, chapter 1 in verse 18, Paul wrote, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. And you know a lot of people fall into that first classification even today that 
they hear the gospel message being preached or they hear somebody teaching from God's word, it's foolishness to them. They don't want to hear it. They don't care about it. They don't believe a whole lot of it. And so they just put it out of their minds. But to those of us who have come to understand the truth of what God has communicated us, communicated to us in his word and the depth of meaning and promise that it has for us, that message is the power of God. We look a little further in verse 21 of that same first chapter of 1 Corinthians. And the Apostle Paul goes on and he says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now people look for answers, they look for success, they look for direction, they look for guidance, they look for meaning in life in all kinds of different places and through all kinds of different avenues except through God's word. And so God said, I'm going to try, well, my plan is, my design is to teach those people, to teach people everywhere the best way through life, the way of forgiveness, of salvation, the way that gives them true, the, the ultimate meaning in life and purpose and hope. I'm going to help them through a simple, easily understood methodology called preaching and teaching. I'm going to send people out to preach, to teach my word, and people can learn from that, and through that learning, through that message, their lives can change. They can come out of condemnation. They can see the hope of forgiveness and salvation. They can see the hope of eternal life, and they can gain the meaning of what I intended humanity to understand as I created them with a soul, as I created them as beings for me to love, as I created them to have eternal home with me in heaven, and that's forever and ever, through the simple method, method of preaching. Our most basic struggle through life is not physical in any form, but rather it's spiritual. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3, Paul wrote, for though we walk in the flesh, that is, we live physical bodies, fleshly bodies, we do not war according to the flesh. Again, our biggest problem is not physical. It's not climate change. It's not famine. It's not drought. It's not even wars and violence. Our biggest problem and challenge through life is spiritual. We do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that is, of this world, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It's a spiritual focus that God wants us to have. And that spiritual focus is what the devil, who is our gravest enemy, 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, does not want us to have. But our greatest struggle is spiritual, not physical. God will guide us through the physical life, but he also wants to guide us through that physical life 
with a spiritual direction and mindset and instruction. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we can be transformed through the gospel. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present, yourself, uh, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Through the gospel of Christ, through the teachings of God's word, your life can be changed. That person in your life who you know who is struggling so mightily, continuing to make mistakes and continuing to pay the consequences thereof, their life can be changed through the gospel of Christ. If they will simply come to God and recognize he has made a way and it makes sense and it gives them real hope. We can be purified. We can be born again through the word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 22, the apostle Peter wrote, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again. There's that do-over, that restart for a person's life not of corruptible seed, it's not going to be a physical rebirth, but incorruptible. It's going to be spiritual through the word of God which lives and abides forever. A new start on life, literally, literally, through the gospel of Christ. Having been forgiven of our sins, having been reborn spiritually, having been made new, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. A do-over a new direction, a new focus. The Apostle Paul, and we've read a number of passages from his particular letters that God guided him to write. He was uniquely qualified to write about the power of the gospel to change lives. He changed from being a disbeliever in Jesus Christ as God's Son and our Lord and Savior to becoming a fervent believer. He changed from being a violent persecutor of the church to being a champion of the church and establishing congregations over a wide span. The Apostle Paul, he knew what he was writing about when he wrote about the change that the gospel of Christ could make in a person's life. Let's think about some of those changes. We're not going to take the time to read 22 verses in Acts chapter 9, the first 22 verses. But we note some things. We're going to bring out some highlights. Think about, and this is talking about Paul's conversion to Christ. That do-over, that restart, that change of direction and change of meaning in his life. His conversion to Christ. His learning the gospel. And that changed his life forever, literally. In the first two verses, Paul left Jerusalem on a journey to Damascus. Paul was ready to hunt down Christian Jews, literally. And I mean hunt them down. Take them into custody. 
bring them back to Jerusalem, put them on trial. And on occasion, he would even vote for their execution if various means of intimidation and persuasion proved unsuccessful to get those Christians to blaspheme the name of Christ, to turn away from their faith, then he would on occasion vote for their execution. He was that ardent. In one particular test, at one particular text in the book of Acts, he talks about how he was furious. He was enraged against the church, against Christianity, against Jesus Christ. On this particular journey, Paul left Jerusalem a man who brought suffering to believers in Christ. In the first two verses, we begin to note the changes made in, Saul, made in the life of Saul of Tarsus, who would later become the Apostle Paul. Again, a dedicated, committed Christian. But first, he's on that journey to Damascus. He left Jerusalem a man who brought suffering to believers in Christ and believers in the gospel. The first two verses read, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, in other words, any who had become Christians, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That was what the mindset that he had in taking this journey to Jerusalem. A man who brought suffering to believers in Christ, believers in the gospel. But he arrived in, in, in Damascus a suffering man himself. Verses 8 and 9, then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. Now what happened between verse 2 and verse 8? On the road to Damascus, the Lord appeared to him through a shining light, a bright shining light, having such an impact upon him that he fell from his, his animal, and, and the Lord spoke to him. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. When he arose from that ground, he was blind. He could not see. He was a man that began that journey with a purpose, hunting down Christians. Now he could not see even around him but he was led by the hand into Damascus. When he arose, his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight and, ate, and neither ate nor drank. Now he began that journey ready to bring suffering to some Christians if he found them. But he entered Damascus a suffering man for not having believed the gospel himself. In Psalm 119 and verse 71, the psalmist wrote this, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. There have been a number of occasions when I have prayed for a particular individual that God would bring whatever, bring on them whatever experience they needed to shake them to their very souls because they were going in the wrong direction, they were continuing to make the same kinds of mistakes and they were suffering the consequences, but they would not open their eyes to their need to turn to God through the gospel of Christ. And so I would pray, God, you know what they need. Please 
bring that upon them, help them to see, bring them to their senses so that they can see the error of their way and turn to you through Jesus Christ. The psalmist said, afflictions? Yes, it is good for me that I have suffered afflictions, that I may learn your statutes so that he could open his eyes more clearly and see God's will for his life more clearly. Sometimes people need to hit rock bottom before they start to look up toward God in heaven, toward their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, the Hebrews writer wrote, Whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father did not chasten? We may see some sons out there today and some daughters whom their fathers and mothers are not chastening, or we might use the word disciplining very much. And those children are growing up suffering the consequences. Their lives are on a pathway of ruin from the beginning, unless somebody comes along and helps them to see that they can get a restart through the gospel of Christ because their parents aren't doing that for them. Then when you look a little bit further in verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. We don't like discipline a lot of times, do we? Especially if it's a discipline that really shakes us up. But, ne but, but nevertheless, afterward it reveals or yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Down the road, we recognize I needed that shaking up. I needed to open my eyes. I needed to start thinking in a better direction and living my life in a more spiritual way. Number two. Saul of Tarsus left Jerusalem, a man physically sighted, but largely spiritually blind. In Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 again, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. So if he found any who were of the way, who were Christians, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He was physically sighted, but he was not seeing the true spiritual way that God wanted him to live. Oh, but he arrived in Damascus physically blind, but beginning to see spiritually. Verse 8, then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. He was blind, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was beginning to see spiritually, however. Paul could certainly relate to the truth of what he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 3. He says, even if our gospel is, ve is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God, lowercase g, talking about the devil, of this age has blinded, has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. whole lot of people are out there, their, their spiritual eyesight is blinded. They're veiled. 
The devil has worked on them and they have given in. They have succumbed. They have followed him his way and turned away from God and they don't see the true light. Paul left Jerusalem seeing physically, but he was blind spiritually, largely. He got to Damascus blind physically, oh, but he was beginning to see spiritually. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 17, this I say, therefore, and testify to the Lord, or in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles, that is, the unbelievers walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. You know, a recent Gallup poll, I believe it is, showed that there's a smaller percentage of people who believe in God, firmly believe in God now in our country, smaller percentage than there has ever been in the history of that particular question being asked in that particular poll. What's happening to our nation? What's happening to our culture? It's not something that's improving quality thereof. It's something that we see the results of all around us leading us in a negative direction as a nation and as a culture. We need to open our eyes spiritually. We need to recognize the devil is trying to blind us, put the veil, the spiritual veil over our eyes so that we don't see the truth. We need to wake up. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 47, Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Now, he's not talking about literal, uh, you know, tearing your eye out there. He's talking about from a spiritual perspective. He's simply using a physical illustration that we can relate to. He goes on and says, it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. It's better for you to be, he says, maimed somewhat physically, but well-sighted, having well, good eyesight spiritually, seeing the truth. Again, he's not saying literally tear your eye out. He's saying you need to understand if you don't have everything that a lot of people think this life should offer them in a physical and material way, that's okay as long as you see the riches of redemption, forgiveness, and salvation in Jesus Christ, having learned that gospel message of deliverance. But number three, Paul left Jerusalem under the authority of a high priest without godly authority. But he entered Damascus. He entered Damascus beginning to submit to the authority of the high priest of God, and that is Jesus Christ. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What a shock that must have been to him. Riding along in charge of that entourage, a man of authority, a member probably of the Sanhedrin Council, a man feared by many, 
And yet now he's on the ground. The bright light shone, knocked him down. And here's this voice from the light. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He responds, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And can you imagine the chills that might have gone down his spine at that particular time? Or even from his head to his foot. Jesus, I've been persecuting you. I have not believed in you. I've been trying to stop that new religion that you instigated. And here you're speaking to me from this light. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. You died on that cross not long ago. How can you be speaking to me now? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished, trembling, a man of authority, but trembling, beginning to see the very early stages of beginning to see the authority of Christ, trembling and astonished, Lord, what do you want me to do? Completely different mindset, completely different attitude. Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. What you must do. Hmm. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. Paul had letters from that high priest without godly authority to persecute Christians if he could find any in Damascus. The Hebrews writer says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed, from the, had passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, the one who confronted Saul on that road to Damascus, the one who stopped him dead in his tracks from what he was about to do again. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Paul said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Go into Damascus. You will be told what you must do, what you must do. Jesus is the high priest of God sent from heaven to guide us in the ways of righteousness to guide us through the gospel message that God sent him to bring to mankind. Number four, Paul left, or Saul of Tarsus left Jerusalem confident that Jesus was not the Christ, not the Messiah, not the Son of God. He arrived in Damascus shaken to his very soul and beginning to see his error. Verse 6 of Acts chapter 9. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord said, go into, arise and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Paul began to be submissive to the very Savior whom he disbelieved whom he was confident was a fraud. And now 
he was beginning to believe. He was beginning to have his life transformed. In verses 20 and 22, or 20 and 21, in Acts chapter 9, immediately he preached Christ. What happened in the meantime? In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, Paul recounts his conversion. In Acts chapter 9, we see the narrative of it happening as he comes to Christ, as the Lord confronts him, as his life is changing, as he's becoming a believer. That transformation that he wrote about later in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. But then in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, he's telling about his, con his, his conversion to Christ. And he tells about a man, a Christian man, the Lord sent to him to teach him the gospel. Remember, in verse 6, the Lord said, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. He sent a man named Ananias, a Christian man, to teach him the gospel. And Ananias said, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling in the name of the Lord. Saul of Tarsus had left Jerusalem confident that Jesus was not the Christ. But once he learned the truth of the matter, he changed 180 degrees and he began preaching that Jesus came as the Christ, the Savior sent from God. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who, we, who, who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem, who has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? The people were amazed. They had heard of the notoriety of Saul of Tarsus. And now they were hearing him completely reversed in his focus and direction and in his work. He was now preaching the very gospel that he had tried to stomp out. He was upholding the Savior that he had disbelieved in and were trying to compel people to blaspheme. He had come to understand that there is no way to God except through Jesus Christ. As Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Finally, Saul of Tarsus left Jerusalem confident in his own righteousness in the way that he was living. But he arrived in Damascus, a man trembling at the gravity of his sin. He trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Have you ever been in that particular position in your life? You had been so firm in what you were doing and then you were suddenly were confronted between your eyes. I am completely wrong. And you had to change in order to be right. That was Saul of Tarsus. He began, left Jerusalem confident in his own righteousness. He arrived in, in Damascus trembling at the gravity of his sin. He believed he was serving God. He arrived in Damascus 
understanding I have turned against God and he had to change. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 9, the Apostle Paul wrote later, I am the least of the apostles who am worthy, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. How his conscience must have bothered him, hurt him for the rest of his life, thinking about what he had done before the gospel changed his life. Oh, the Lord appointed him as an apostle after he became a Christian. He had work for him to do, spreading the gospel. The very truth that he had tried to stop from being taught, now he taught it openly, lovingly, committed, dedicated, fervently, leading people to salvation through Jesus Christ. But as he thought back, he said, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But here's the transformation. Here's how the gospel can change a life by the grace of God. He said that by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Many times I'm afraid Christians in the Lord's church, they hold back from doing what they ought to be doing to reach out, to be that shining Christian light because they're afraid, I, I can't do it. Paul said, it wasn't me who did all that preaching and teaching. It was the grace of God working through me. That's how it was accomplished. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. Paul, as he identified himself as the chief of sinners, was changed by the gospel of Christ. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. If the gospel could change Saul of Tarsus. The gospel can change you, no matter how bad you might think you are. The gospel can change that person in your life who is going down the wrong road and continually suffering the consequences thereof. The gospel can turn around that life. No sin in your life is so terrible, but that it cannot be forgiven through Jesus Christ. Matthew 9 and verse 13, he said himself, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In Luke 19 and verse 10, Jesus said, talking about how the gospel can change a person, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus died on that cross for the lost, for the sinner, for Saul of Tarsus and all of his error and sin. And that person who you know, who is engulfed in the muck and the mire of a sinful lifestyle, 
Jesus came for that person. He died on the cross for that soul. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You say, I'm too bad to be good. Of course, we all are. But by the grace of God, remember, we can be counted good by God through Christ. Through the gospel message, we can change. That message is still as powerful as it ever was to change a life. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Everybody, are you ready to trust God's word that he will help you change as you obey the gospel of Christ. Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Calling in the name of the Lord. Will you help that person you know understand that message? The gospel can change his or her life forever. If you need to come, we encourage you to take that step. If you need the prayers of the church, we're here to pray with you and for you. If you're ready to be baptized into Christ and be reborn spiritually, as, the, as Saul of Tarsus was almost 2,000 years ago, completely changed his life, your life can completely change as well. Won't you come as we stand together and sing? Jesus.